0: Duke fans, welcome to episode 175 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am hosting this week. My name is Jason Evans. I am joined, as always, by my fine partners in crime. Sam Klein is in Durham. Donald Wine is in Washington D.C. Guys, before I even get to you to say hi, I want to thank our sponsors, Bird Campbell, for always being along for the ride. Wow. Uh, it, it was a tough week to be a Blue Devil. Um, to be a Blue Devil fan, uh, wasn't it, Sam? Yes.
1: Next question.
2: <laughs> yeah, good answer. Uh, that, that, I'll, 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 that's I'll all I have. I will piggyback by saying I spent my Thanksgiving holiday in Texas of all states. So, yeah, nice. fun. That's great. It, I wasn't. Home I wasn't of, home of home of Stephen F. Austin. F. F. Austin. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of stone cold Stephen F. Austin memes were sent to me um, this week. But uh, yeah, I guess we should just go ahead and talk about the vegetables. Yeah, normally yeah. No, I, I spend I spend Thanksgiving with um, the side of
1: my family that all went to small private schools and don't care about college sports, so none of them really knew what happened, which was kind of nice. And actually, was a weird I'm like o- often I don't enjoy spending Thanksgiving with this particular group of people, but uh, for different reasons. So this time I was just upset and usually it's that ah oh, just uh, I just don't feel like talking to them so
2: anyway change I of pace say, for me I will say that because this game that game was on ACC network extra it which means that you had to a had the ACC network and b had the extra uh, on ESPN3 my parents didn't actually get to see the game as did most of, neither did most of the state because uh, Texas for the most part the cable channels don't have ACC network so I guess that's some saving so, grace.
0: Only Although, for you. Know,
2: a, a crazy, only for me. Yeah.
0: A crazy thing about that game—it was ACC Network Extra, but it got picked up by like Fox Sports Regional. Mm-hmm. Like I saw it on Fox Sports Fox South. Fox Sports South. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and actually, I believe I heard it got picked up by a couple other regional networks. It was mm-hmm. actually on in a pretty fair percentage of the country. Yeah. Um, I I I ran into people nonstop all week long who would come up to me and
2: go, "Stephen F. Austin," and I'd be like, "Yeah." Fuck you. <laughs> so my parents my parents have Fios, which has all of the Fox regionals. So usually when I'm home, I get to be able to watch a, a plethora of college football and basketball. Uh, but for some reason, my, I got in the car and my mom was like, that game was on last night? I was like, yes. And she's like, it wasn't on TV. I was like, it was on ACC Network or Fox Sports something. She's like, we have all Fox Sports. We didn't see the game. And I'm like, fine. The, the hopefully no one else did.
1: My yeah, my uh, dad went to bed. My dad went to bed before the game ended, and he because he he has this he has this fun habit where he tapes all the games and then he'll watch them in the morning over oh breakfast. No. And so he got up the next morning, and, and he didn't know yet. <laughs> I was, oh no! I, I sort of gave him this look of terror, like, like oh, oh my no. god. <laughs> and he said, he said, what what happened? I said, did you see the score of the Duke game? He said, no, they lost. I said, "Yeah." He goes, oh, "Well, then I guess I don't have to watch it." And that was that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he got to avoid it. We did not get to avoid
1: it. Let's get to the meat um, uh, of the conversation. Can we just Devil- can we just keep dancing around it instead? I think that yeah. I think dancing around it is much better than actually talking about it. We're really you know, good dancers too.
0: <laughs> we we need to dissect this. We need to figure out what the heck happened in this game. Uh, the Blue Devils lose eighty five to eighty three in overtime to Stephen F. Austin. Uh, it breaks a 150, 150-game 150 home winning streak against non-conference teams, which is just absurd. I mean, it's 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 unfathomable that the Duke went almost 20 years without losing a non-conference home game. Uh, and by the way, we've played some really good teams in that time, teams that were supposedly much better than Stephen F. Austin. Uh, I'll, I'll say this uh, about the game, and then, then I'll get to you guys. In my preview, I mentioned that um, Stephen F. Austin uh, is great at forcing turnovers. And I thought, oh, but, but for Duke, that's not a big deal because we've got Trey Jones, so we won't commit turnovers. And so what, the thing that they're best at, we, we won't fall prey to. And, and I was wrong. <laughs> uh, Duke turns the ball over. In pretty, y- you, were wrong.
1: you were wrong in fairly poetic fashion.
0: Yes, thank you so much for reminding me about <laughs> yeah. that. I am, yeah. I am here to, to crow about it when I get it right, and I'm here to admit it when I get it wrong. Um, I, I thought Stephen F. Austin had absolutely no chance in this game. That's not make me someone who went out on a limb, though. <laughs> uh, everyone thought that. Um, I, Sam, I'll, I'll go to you first. What uh, what you know what, what happened? I mean, that's the simple question. Every Duke fan is saying, oh, my God,
1: what happened? I think there are two elements to this game that are – really concerning one is the one you started with which is the turnovers Trey Jones had eight turnovers on the evening and didn't really get into a into an offensive rhythm for whatever reason Stephen F Austin was able to frustrate him basically at at the point of attack and and he he never felt comfortable especially strange given that he looked pretty in control last week against much tougher opponents in New York the other one that I think we're going to talk a lot about is points in the paint against Duke. So uh, something like 60 points for Stephen F. Austin in the paint. Duke has freshman Vernon Carey in there. Who's, who's obviously he's a freshman and probably needs a little bit more polish, but should be able to contain a little bit. And we've seen, I I think one of the fallacies of, of giving up points in the paint is that it's on the big men to do it, but it's also about, the wing players being able to prevent fast penetration to to get to that second level, and that wasn't happening either. Guys from Stephen F austin were were going every which way they wanted. and Jason, I know that you're uh, perhaps you'll you'll get to your your favorite stat here in a little bit, but the field goal attempt differential was was stark and it wasn't even the rebounding that caused it. so um yeah, that, well, those, it, those yeah. points in the paint were were a huge uh were a huge differentiator for for the lumberjacks. So so let me let me jump in really quick and and let's talk about
0: the field goal attempts because at the half um with duke leading 45 to 40 uh, I was thinking this would be another of these sort of typical and I sort of talked about this I think it was on the last podcast one of these games where it stays kind of close but you feel like oh duke's not really all that threatened and in the end they end up with, they end up winning by 8, 10, 12 points in a game that you're like, oh, I thought they were going to win by 20. But it's not, it's not that huge a deal. Um, but, but at the half with us leading 45 to 40, I, I, I actually took a note to myself that Duke only had three offensive rebounds in the first half. And we had 11 turnovers in the first half. And as a result, we had been outshot 34 to 26 on field goal attempts. And and as you guys have noted repeatedly, that is one of my favorite stats. One of my favorite keys of success is getting more shots than the opposition. And I was like, wow, we were we were outshot by 12. But I went, oh, you know what? It's kind of OK, because we we if you also look at the stats, we had shot 13 more free throws than they did. So so the impact essentially was, yeah, we were shooting less. But a lot of that was because we were going to the free throw line That, that doesn't count as a field goal when you take a free throw. Um, but we'd been 13 of 16 on free throws in the first half. We were hitting our free throws really well. So we had this lead. And then in the second half, we didn't hit our free throws at all. 11 of 24, I believe was the number. 11 of 24 on free throws in the second half. Like if we even hit half of our free throws, if we go 12 of 24, it doesn't go to overtime and we win the game. Um and as a result of all of this we ended up getting outshot 54 to 74. You can't get outshot by 20 field goal attempts and win the game unless you shoot like some absurd crazy percentage from 3, you know. Well, as you, you go- say Duke
1: could have Duke could have done that. But but it was it was that much to overcome all of the other yeah. all the other advantages that the Blue Devils have over an overmatched opponent from the Southland Conference that yeah. shouldn't have a chance in this game.
0: Okay, well, I, I've done nothing on the field goal attempts. I, I think that is a tremendous concern for me. This is a Duke team that was a great offensive rebounding team through the first five, six games of the season, and that has started to really tail off, and I'm very worried about that because I'm not sure this is a team that's going to get enough offense on its own to compensate for not getting offensive rebound buckets like we were early in the season. Donald, your turn. It's been all me and Sam so far. Uh, you know, What's your big takeaway from the Stephen of Austin game?
2: I'm going to break it down as simply as I possibly can. And I'm going to take the first half out of it because that's not what I'm focused on. It's the second half and overtime. Stephen of Austin played better. Simply. They played better. They out hustled us. Every 50 50 ball was theirs. Every rebound seemed to be theirs. We didn't seem to have an answer for that.
0: And I'm glad, I'm glad you're saying that. And you were absolutely it, 100% correct. And yeah, I bet that's, that, that's
2: straight up that's what it was.
0: what bothers Coach K more than anything
2: else, I bet. Yeah. And. You could tell after the game, that's the first thing he said, is they played better. They they wanted it more. It's not that they shot better. It's not that they did anything better other than the fact that they hustled. They got to every rebound. Every, you know, our rebounds were kind of one and, one and done where you know they got a couple of attempts. They, it's not like they had a lot of uh, offensive rebounds compared to us, but it seemed like in the second half, everything was theirs for the taking. And as we kept making mistakes, as we kept turning the ball over, um, as we kept making some of the or missing some of these shots, that gave them more and more confidence. And there was a point where you could see on their faces that Stephen of Austin thought they could win this ball game. And once that happened, it was over um, because they worked that much more to get to their goal. And I think that's the most concerning thing that I saw on Tuesday night was that in the second half, that team wanted it more than the teams were Duke on the front of their jerseys. And that's never, it's something I have not seen in a long time against any opponent, much less opponent of Stephen F. Austin's caliber. um, A team that almost everybody thought was going to uh, get run out of the gym. And and I think, I think
1: that you you could see the, (laughs) here's a a microcosm difference. I talked in last week's show about that moment at the beginning of the second half of now I can't remember which game it was where Trey Jones leaked out for the steal at the beginning mm-hmm. and for the first play of the second half, and he tried it again against Stephen F. Austin and missed. And yeah. that yeah. that sort of tells you where the where the team's head was at is that they weren't they weren't really prepared for this game for whatever reason. It might have been coming off the that tough trip to New York against, against those good opponents. It might've been Thanksgiving week. It might've been looking ahead as we're about to do to the Michigan state and Virginia tech games next week. I know that we last week in this preview of of, of these games that just happened, we said, look, we have these, we have these games coming up. They're not much of a concern. Let's look ahead at Michigan state and Virginia tech. Very briefly, the team might've gotten caught in the same thing. And as as you pointed out, Jason Duke hasn't lost a non-conference home game in almost 20 years. Prior to last week, so it was. Most of the
2: freshmen, most of the freshmen were not alive. Last time yeah. we lost. I was not yet in school. Uh, it, it and I'm the middle of the three of us. Like it was right before I went to school. They were talking about you know Bootsy and St. John's um, beating us, and how that was never going to happen again because they were going to be focused when whenever any non-conference opponent came to Cameron. And I think really we just even that play you know talking about that and starting off you know every time they would get close i feel like most duke fans like myself were saying there's going to be that at duke run we're gonna i know this is a scary game this is kind of like the rhode island game or or you know any other uh the, the jimmy Barron game or any other those games that are kind of close in cameron and the virginia or vermont game um but we're going to get a run, and we're going to pull away. It's going to be, going to look close, and people are going to say, "Oh, you know, you almost had, you, know, they almost had you," but the streak continues. That run never came because Stephen F. Austin wouldn't allow it because of their hustle. And I think that's where it goes down to fundamentally. In the second half and overtime, there was one team on the court that wanted it more than the other, and that team was Stephen F. Austin. And I think that's why they won the ball game. Oh, oh,
0: you know who made the run. It was Stephen F. Austin that made the run because mm-hmm. there was that look, look in the first half with nine minutes left, Duke leads 33. To, we, uh, Matthew hurt makes a layup and Duke leads 33 to 18. And I absolutely a hundred percent thought, okay, we're on our way to winning this game by 30. I mean, we're, we're up 15 on a team that's, that's not ranked in the top 200 nationally. This is what always happens that, that, uh, you know, D- Duke is going to win this game going away. And suddenly in the span of like maybe a minute, um, they got, uh, I want to say they got three steals in a row or, or something like that. And Kevon Harris who uh, made three consecutive layups. Um, and as a result, they they were back in the game. And suddenly, rather than it being 15 points on its way to being 20 to being on its way to being 30, uh, you know, suddenly they, they were, you know, they cut into it and it was less than a 10 point game. And you sort of saw in that moment, I think, that Stephen of Austin realized, wait a second, we, we can play with these guys. Um, and and I, I would ordinarily expect Duke to take it to them you know, in a moment like that. Okay, we've got them down. Let's finish them. Um, and, and we absolutely didn't. And, you know, Donald, you talked about the hustle and, and determination. Um, I, I, you know, I, I I'm, I'm seeing from this Duke team some things that really concern me, in in terms of hustle and effort and killer instinct. Um, it's a yo- it's a very young Duke team. And by the way, that Stephen F. Austin team was very old, all juniors and seniors. Uh, D- Donald, finish it off for me, and, and then let's move on to the Winthrop game. What, what's your final word on this contest?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to talk about, I think the play that kind of defines this game and why this this hopefully won't happen again the rest of the season but also uh, a positive that came out of it and i'm talking about the final play the final play breaks down everything that we have just said was wrong with that game in one play we try to go for some laxidates goal play after coach k drew up a play they ran it lazy they got a terrible shot and then Kane ran with the well, ball. They, they,
0: they, did not, they did not get the shot. They didn't get off the shot.
2: Well, I mean, they got the first shot off and then they got the. I'm sorry. That was oh, the end. Okay. Yeah, they got the yeah, first yeah. shot off. Then they tried to come back out and do it again, steal the ball. And Kane runs the length of the floor past everybody and lays it in as, as the buzzer sounded. I think that play, like, it's one thing. Someone on Twitter said it's one thing if we got beat by five or something like that, but we got beat on a buzzer beater in our own gym. By a, a Cinderella opponent, and that's something that's going to be relived over and over and over. But the play itself was basically defined the lack of hustle that we had the entire second half and overtime because that guy wanted the ball, he wanted to score, and he got it off just before uh, the time ran out. But the one positive that got of it is hopefully one. Hopefully, we can look at this and Coach K can look at this as one of his defining moments. You know, losses in his career that he said hey this will never happen again we will never have a team that plays like that ever again but also i think it's it's one of those things to point out that kane had a had a remarkable game and afterwards because of his heroics people learned about his story i, I don't know if you get, we we're going to talk about this in parting shots i think it's good to do it now the fact that he is from the bahamas that they went through a lot with hurricane dorian and that his family lost just about everything he had a go fund me Uh, set up by the university to help his family out at that time of the game. It was only at like $1,500. And now it's at like $60,000 because a program defining one like that, not only highlighted the program, but it highlighted the players within it. And I think if there is some positive that Stephen of Austin played well enough that people are always going to remember that. And not just in Nacogdoches, Texas, but in the Bahamas as well. Um, So I think that was something else well-deserved. And uh, if it brings some attention to some, you know, plight that is uh, in need of fixing, um, then I think that was somewhat worth it in the end, if that makes sense. But uh, there was, yeah, there was a
1: weird, there was a weird sort of positive energy about the whole thing after the loss, even though it was so bad for Duke. And I Mm -hmm. think that, opposing fans were able to direct some of that intensity call it to supporting Bain and and his family and, and friends and all that in the Bahamas. So that was sort of the one, I guess, one silver lining for Duke fans that that was there, obviously for everyone who's not a Duke fan, the whole thing was great.
2: And I think honestly for Duke fans, they were doing it too. They they were saying, Hey, they were, they earned it. They deserved it. And that kind of, it kind of keeps the hairs at bay a little bit. I mean, obviously they were all over the place, but it was more about, hey, we know we lost. We know we deserve, this guy right here just won the game and he deserves it. And on top of that, check this out. And, and I think stories like that are going to live on and it's unfortunate that we are at the opposite end of it. So, you know, we obviously don't like doing that, but um, I do think that Stephen F. Austin's play deserves the attention that it got. And and that is why on our end that was concerning but for them hats off to them all of them because they earned every bit of that victory
1: which isn't uh, to uh, say that we're not excited to that that we are sorry it's not to say that we are excited to continue seeing the replay of the final play of the game for right. years and years to come i'm not thrilled about that but something something good i suppose came out of it
0: yeah. Uh, by the way, I heard that Nathan Bain's GoFundMe page is over a hundred thousand dollars at this point.
2: Yeah, is, it, it and that, like mean, it, it was a like two thousand or something, like fifteen hundred before the game started. No one had even heard of it, and it was it was one that was set up by the university, and you know the local community donated, but no one had ever heard of it. So now that everybody's heard of him, he is you know that is being attend you know getting the attention it deserves as well, and uh, I, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, and by the way, it's it's for a really good cause. I mean, the the devastation that the Bahamas suffered uh, as a result of the, uh, her, uh, her was it Hurricane Matt? God, I can't it believe was, it was uh, Dorian. Him. Oh, was it, was it Dorian? Okay, Dorian. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the devastation they suffered. Um, it, it was kind of hard the day after the game, hearing so much about Nathan Bain and the and the GoFundMe page. It was hard not to feel like, you know, what if we have to lose? We we kind of lost for a good cause, so that's that's not a not a bad thing. And Donald, I'm glad you brought that up. All right, gentlemen. So the Blue Devils bounced back, so to speak. Um, maybe not as impressive as we would have hoped. Uh, we beat the Winthrop Eagles in the second game of the week, 83 to 70. It was a game that was somewhat marred by Cassius Stanley. Uh, hurting, uh, it looks like his, I believe they say it's his calf or his hamstring, uh, a muscular injury. Um, it, it was a bad looking injury though, and, and certainly looks like it will have him out um, for a while, although uh, um, not, you know, it looked like it could have been an ACL, which would have had him out for sure for the whole year. And, and um, uh, it, it does appear that Cassius Stanley, we hope, we'll will get to come back at some point um donald i'll go to you first what you know what's your takeaways let's put the injury aside for a moment just in terms of the play of the duke blue devils what'd you think of this uh this game against winthrop uh, another overmatched opponent that that certainly kept things closer than we would have liked
2: yeah well i think winthrop saw the game that we were just talking about and they said hey if they can't if they could do it why not us right and, and they came out firing i think they again the hustle was there for for Winthrop and at times for us it was lacking the defense that we had come to you know see was very good in the first few games for us wasn't there um the points in the paint were also again a a primary emphasis of concern and really when when Stanley went out I, I I was driving home from dinner and so I was listening to it uh and I just turned it on when uh, Jason, we were in our chat and you told us, uh, he's, he's done. It might be an ACL. And I was just like, wh- what did I miss in five minutes? Um, it, it seemed, but I, I think it was good for the team to respond to adversity like that because losing cash Stanley early. And it was early in the second half, I want to say, uh, or I'm sorry, late in the uh, first half, but losing him at that point, he had been our motor. He had been our guy that, you know, for the, from through the first few games, was someone we could rely on, especially in the second half, for defense, for hustle, uh, for getting rebounds, and also for scoring. And to have him out, it meant other guys needed to step up. And I thought that for the most part, the guy that stepped up was Joey Baker. Um, and he he did it in a big way, especially from beyond the arc. Uh, four for five for him from three. He scored 16 points. Matthew Hurt had 20 points. Vernon Carey had 17 and 10. Those are the type of performances you want to see, but it, it's the hustle and it's the, hey, you're not you're not winning today. That sort of attitude um, that we had to take late in the game to say, "Hey, you may have saw Tuesday, but this isn't happening again." I thought they learned from that, and I thought they closed out the game pretty well. Um, having said that, Winthrop still balled out all the way to the final whistle, and an 83 to 70 score is uh, probably not as good as we all wanted. We probably all wanted to see them you know, see us win by 50 to kind of respond. But I think that's something that you could take and and realize that, hey, this week is done. We've gotten some injuries, but now we have some games coming up that we have to bring the intensity for every single second of the game. And they can learn from these two games. And especially from this Winthrop game, you can still learn from a win. And I think they're going to learn a lot from this uh, particular win, especially how they battled through the adversity of losing Cassius Stanley in the game.
1: I think the best thing to take away is the usefulness of depth of the Duke bench, Joey Baker providing most of the offensive spark that put Duke over the top at the end of the game is great, not just for him, but for the whole team to say there are there are other dudes on this team that will always pick you up. So everybody should everybody should be going for it all the time. It's not like it's not like 2016 where Duke had to sort of preserve every player. Luke Pinard, don't don't overexert yourself because we need you to keep taking shots right up until the end of the game. Brandon Ingram, don't don't reach for fouls because because we don't have any behind anybody behind you to take over. I think the the lesson here is depth is is good for Duke. Winthrop had it, but but Duke had it as well. And the players who performed the best, at least offensively, in this game were Baker and Hurt who, one of whom's a starter, Matthew Hurt, but has been sort of maligned the last couple weeks. He just hasn't been playing that well, and this was a step in the right direction for him. And for Joey Baker, that's a player who we had, I think, a little bit written off as being potentially part of the rotation. And with Stanley out, things are probably going to shuffle a little bit, and Baker's going to see more minutes. And if he can produce that way, especially in tight spots, then he is going to be really useful for duke going forward
0: yeah I, i'm glad you mentioned both of those two names because i thought that um matthew hurt and joey baker I, I i think i i think i've said it to you guys i know i said it to some friend um i was like well if you had matthew hurt and joey baker as duke's two best players against winthrop you should go out and play the lottery because you're clearly a witch and you're able to predict the future <laughs> right uh you know really surprising to see those two guys uh, and, and and they were Duke's two best players in this game. Hurt carried us early, and then Baker carried us late. Um, But uh, Sam, you stole my thunder. Literally, my point was going to be, I've been talking all year uh, about Duke's depth, and I've been saying, yeah, we're going to play nine or ten guys every single game, Um, and the tremendous advantage that gives us is you can mess around and figure out which one of those guys is going good And uh, against Winthrop. Joey Baker was the guy that was going good, and uh, as a result, um, I, you know, I, let me ask you all: uh, Who do you think? I mean, Cassius Stanley is going to be out. Um, I, I think they're saying you know they're hoping you know around Christmas, around New Year, we may get him back. I think that. May yeah, be it cool. was a hand.
2: They're saying it's a hamstring injury, and that by January he'd be back. So we're saying yeah. at most four to five weeks.
1: Yeah. Can we all can right. we not can we not put these hexes on and just say he's out and 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 not try to predict the the return date. I feel like we always get burned as Duke fans on the return date of star players. Okay.
2: Officially he is out indefinitely. That's, that's the official word. So we'll, we'll just leave it at indefinitely.
0: So, but I was going to ask you guys, what do you think happens uh, in terms of rotations and in terms of starters specifically? Um, Do you guys think that Joey Baker moves into the starting lineup? I mean, earlier in the season, I would have said for sure it would have been Alex O'Connell O'Connell, you know, O'Connell started a, a few games, certainly looked like he was, um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the major rotation guys on the wing. Uh, I feel like I feel like there's a pretty good chance we're going to see Joey Baker um, as uh, as a starter for Duke, considering he was 10th man a couple of weeks ago. Pretty remarkable.
1: Um, uh, Sam, who do you think? I think I see Alex O'Connell more because he's he's probably more advanced sort of in a general sense as opposed to Joey Baker's little mini breakout that we've seen here, which isn't to say that we won't see Joey Baker playing real minutes. I think the other challenge is that the two teams we're about to face this week in Michigan State and Virginia Tech are are perceived to be a lot stronger and, and to this point are a lot stronger than the opponents that we have seen. Virginia Tech was not predicted to do well this season, but has had an awesome win against that Michigan State squad. We're about to talk about both of them. I think – for playing experienced teams that have higher level talent, particularly Michigan state, you want to put the experienced players in, in the best positions here. And that's why I feel that O'Connell is probably going to get the start, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Joey Baker, especially if coach K thinks that he has to sort of micromanage rotations here, sort of to the most recent knowledge, which is, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. On the one hand, Duke has all this depth and needs to use it. On the other hand, he sees, he sees all the practices. He sees what goes on behind the scenes and knows sort of who's progressing. So it's going to be either way. It's going to be interesting uh, how the rotations shape out
2: from here. So I, I, I want to preface this by saying we, for those of you out there, we actually got an email uh, earlier this week about this sort of question um, from Ryan Cavazos out of Fort Worth. He he asked, what time do you think J- Coach K goes to Jack White in the starting lineup? And honestly, I think that time is going to be against Michigan State because I think when it comes to the physicality that we're expecting in that game, the the fact that we're going to need rebounding and defense um, to start the game off and kind of that just that intensity, uh, maybe he goes with one of those. Uh, maybe he goes with Jack White as kind of the leadership and then brings joy Baker and Alex O'Connell off the bench. It'll be interesting to see. I think we'll probably see both of those at a certain point over the next few games. But my guess is Tuesday he goes with Jack White in the starting lineup. He trusts him. He's been in the starting line before. He knows how to play like a starter, uh, especially and, and a guy who can knows play people physical, coming off the bench. A guy yeah, who can and we're going to need that physical against
0: Michigan, Yeah, against Michigan State. Um, hey, I'll toss another one out there. I won't be shocked. Remember who started the very first game of the season? Jordan Goldwire. Um, while I think... Joey Baker is is pretty likely to be the guy that gets in there just because he he played so well recently. Um, I won't be shocked if we see Jordan Goldwire uh, because um, uh, guy who has point guard mentality, so he's going to you know take care of the ball. And turnovers have become a concern for this Blue Devil team. Um, a, a guy who's experienced, we could see a lot of different combinations. And look, I'm not ruling out. You know, I don't want to call the guy out specifically, but Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore had a really, really tough game against Winthrop. Um, did not play well. Uh, uh, you know, zero points, two turnovers, one rebound, one assists. That that that's that's rough from one of your starters. Um, so I'm not ruling out Coach K really shuffling things around a pretty good bit. I feel like Trey Jones, who who who, by the way, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more later, but Trey Jones. Struggling a lot, but it's going He's locked in as a starter. I think we've seen enough of Vernon Carey, um, uh, you know, double double machine Vernon Carey, uh, that we know he's a starter. Um, and Matthew Hurt had a very good week. Uh, I feel like those three. I, I'm not sure I have any idea of what the other two starting positions could be. There, there are a lot of different
1: possibilities, a lot of different combinations that that we could see. I will say that I assume Coach K's thesis on picking new rotations is going to be fixing the defensive efficiency from last week to this week. Duke's offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm has remained the same, but their defensive efficiency has gotten worse by three points, which is a huge jump just over the course of two games. And obviously you can see that bearing out particularly against Stephen F. Austin, but also in a 70 point effort from Winthrop. Don't be surprised if coach K is making decisions that are very defensive focused, at least in the short term to try to right. That part of the of the team's efficiency.
0: As always, this week's edition of the D.B.R. podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell Law Firm. And Tucker Bird sent us a note after the Stephen F. Austin loss. Um, uh, Jamie and Tucker have been Duke fans long enough to have seen some. Uh, very difficult times for the Blue Devils. And and they, uh, like all of us, have have soldiered through. And Tucker Bird wrote this. He said, take heart, Duke fans. As Dostoevsky famously said, may I be worthy of my sufferings. Credit is due to Stephen F. Austin for an unbelievable effort. Its victory would not be legendary, though, unless Duke itself were legendary. And I thought that um, is a very appropriate comment from uh, the fine guys at Bird Campbell. As a reminder, if you are in Florida or Texas and have legal needs, we urge you to reach out to these wonderful Duke fans who are also outstanding, outstanding lawyers at BYRDCAMPBEL.com. Bird Campbell means business. Guys, we uh, uh, will not just be looking back. We need to look ahead. Uh, Duke has two games coming up this week. One, a conference game against Virginia Tech. But before that, we have the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And the Blue Devils will travel to East Lansing to play Michigan State, the preseason number one team, who is a team that uh, has had some, somewhat like Duke, some ups and downs this season. Uh, We play them Tuesday, um, it's in East Lansing, and it's somewhat rare for Duke to have a true road game. You, sometimes in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, when we're supposed to play on the road, we sort of play in, like, a big arena or something like that uh, because everyone wants to highlight Duke because we are a big deal. Um, I, I will uh, – Donald, I'll go to you. Um, start me off. What should we be looking for? What do you know about Michigan State?
2: Well, Michigan State, they they have a great, great uh, cast of people who are – experienced and also they're very physical it's led by Cassius Winston he's all-american he every you can say what you want about him he is one of the best players in college basketball uh, he's been struggling a little bit this year but I think so far he is still the go-to guy when it comes to the Michigan State Spartans but I will say this, this the great thing about previewing these two opponents that we have this week is that they actually played each other in Maui last week um, Virginia Tech actually beat Michigan State, 71-66. to So I watched a little bit of that game, and and I think I'll take some of that and kind of give it to you guys to to stew on for both of these opponents. But in that game, it was physical. No team could shoot. But at the end of the day, it was about that physicality and and really about making plays down the stretch and executing. And that's something that Virginia Tech did better than Michigan State, which I thought was surprising because Michigan State has been a team over the years that will – Wear you down and wear you down, and then right in the last five minutes, if they if it's a close game, that's when they have the edge. And against Virginia Tech, they didn't really have that because I think Cassius Winston didn't have his best game. He had three turnovers. Uh, he doesn't like the, He doesn't really turn the ball over that much. Michigan State as a whole doesn't turn the ball over that much, but this team will out rebound you. They're going to be physical in, in the paint. Those are two things that have been concerning for us uh, over the last week. But when you talk about rebounding, I think that's going to be the biggest uh, matchup for both teams when we play them on Tuesday night. Our, our until we got to this past week, our rebounding was spectacular. It was the best in the country. Michigan State is always one of the best rebounding teams in the country as well, and so it was, and and that really feeds everything that they do. That's the whole physicality. Who wants it more? The the defense, the offense, all of that is brewed by them in their rebounds and against Virginia tech, they out rebounded them 43 to 27 and still lost the basketball game. And it was because of execution errors that they had down the stretch and everything else that they did, but the rebounding was there. And so I think I want to focus on that. Virginia tech is also usually a pretty decent physical team that can rebound. They can shoot in Blacksburg. They're, it's really the game that they highlight every year, whenever Duke comes to town. And I think between these two teams, that's what I want. You know, that's what we're going to see from them this week. What I want to see from us this week when it comes to these two teams is to respond with the intensity necessary to win on the road. These are going to be their first two uh, true road games this season. And they couldn't come at two of the uh, I I mean, the Breslin Center when rocking is loud, it's rocking and it's intimidating. Blacksburg is the place that we haven't played well anytime we go there, even if we win. And I want to see these guys respond to that because in the first five minutes, Virginia Tech and Michigan State are going to come out swinging. Can we answer the bell? And if we don't, it's going to be a long night for us. But I want to see us get up and say, we're on the road. Nobody in here likes us. and We don't care. Let's go out and win this ballgame. That's what I want to see in the first five minutes. That's really going to set the tone of the the game for both of these teams this week. I think that's Uh, it. Go yeah, ahead. I was going
1: to say that, that that you you finished with what I wanted to start with, which is the scheduling couldn't have come at a more interesting time here. Mm-hmm. Duke playing two teams who are notoriously hard to beat in their home arenas, as you said, Michigan State is one of the one of the toughest places in the country, and and Duke has a bad general record at at Virginia Tech relative to the to the quality of of the two teams when they play there. So I think this is a perfect opportunity for Coach K to. Motivate the team to to bring their very best effort after a lackluster week, and that is going to and and that's going to hopefully propel them to better performances than they had. The matchup that I'm looking at in the in that Michigan State game to start out is uh, Xavier Tillman, Michigan State's you know rockin' big man uh, against Vernon Carey. Tillman had a had a great performance in the spring against Duke's front line in the Elite Eight. And was really efficient from the floor. Um, was able to, to really punish Duke down low. I bet that they are watching a lot of tape of him from last year and from this year, so that uh, so that they're ready for that for that big uh, frontal attack from Xavier Tillman. That that's the part that I think is going to be most telling from that game is is how well Duke approaches him, um, as far as they're being able to to beat Michigan State in East Lansing.
0: Uh, look, the thing about Michigan State, as always, I, I, I was looking them up and I was trying to, you know, uh, figure out uh, different statistical things about them, and I went, "Oh, wait, look at this." For uh, Michigan State is a a really efficient team. You know, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, offensive and defensive rebounds really well. Um, and they're not a great outside shooting team. I'm like. I could have just described literally every Michigan State team for the past twenty years since Tom Izzo took over that job. They work really, really hard, and Donald Donald's preview is dead on target. This is going to be a, a gut check game where you must try to outwork one of the hardest working teams around. Um, I don't see, you know, I don't see either one of these teams suddenly becoming an amazing outside shooting team that bombs the other one out of the gym. Um, if, if one of them does game over, but otherwise it is going to be a grinded out game. Um, and the teams that, uh, the team that, you know, is able to control the boards is probably, and, and not turn the ball over. That's going to be the team that's probably going to win. Um, and, uh, I, you know, that, that's, that was the kind of team that it felt like Duke was earlier in the year. Not so much this past week. I'd love to put this past week behind us and return to being that kind of, that kind of club, um, uh, I, Donald, give me one more thing on Michigan State, then we'll, then we'll move on to Virginia Tech.
2: I, I, I want to issue this challenge, if, if, if that's even possible on the Duke Basketball Report podcast, but my challenge is for one player to have a really good week, and that's Javin Delorier, because I think we're going to need him to have a good week. We're talking about the physical nature of this game. We're talking about points in the paint. We're talking about defense. If Javin Delorier has a great week, we're winning both of these ball games straight up. Because I think he has the, the him coming off the bench and providing that player, I think Vernon Carey is going to have a pretty decent week. I think you know guys hey, like Jack hey, wired. Go let, ahead. Let,
0: let, let me jump in on that. I, I don't think Javon Deloria is going to get enough time to have a great week.
2: And that's I why mean, I think the game the, the, if he's efficient it, when he's in the game, because honestly, we're going to have times where you know Vernon Carey may get into foul trouble or just be tired from you know, the physical nature of these two games. They're going to try and pressure him the entire time. And that's why I think Jam Deloria, he may not see a lot of time, but the time he spends in the court is going to be important because if he can go in and make a difference in those few minutes of these game, be active on offense and defense, especially around the boards, that's going to create confidence for when Kerry comes back into the game that, hey, I can do that too. And if we can – there's always times where you have a unit where – if we could just maintain until the starters get back in or our best players get back in the game, then we've done right. That's Javon Deluria this week. I think he needs to be very focused on the fact that he can make a difference, especially on defense and in the paint. Sam, you get the last word.
1: I just wanted to remind everyone that although Michigan State is merely 5-2 and two, according to their win-loss record, they're still number one in Ken Palm efficiency. They're still arguably the best team in the country despite all of – uh, despite their losses and the adversity, they've played a pretty tough schedule to this point and that Duke fans should not be underrating them by any means because they've had losses early. We know this is how Tom Izzo schedules, and we know that his teams are invariably good by the end of the season, and it seems like they're already good to this point.
0: So, of course, after the Michigan State game, the uh, Duke has their first ACC game. They will travel to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. Uh, unusual. But but the new normal to be playing an ACC game this early in the season, <laughs> uh, and the story of the Virginia Tech season has has been the emergence of Landers Noley. He is a redshirt freshman. He thought about transferring in the offseason when Buzz Williams left the team, but Mike Young talked him into staying. Um, he's not a redshirt freshman because uh, it, it you know they didn't think he could play. He had some NCAA eligibility problems. Uh, I thought I think that was it that kept him out of last season. Um, uh, but this kid uh, was a very highly regarded recruit, and he is immediately living up to the hype. He has been a great outside shooter thus far and uh, and has been their whole scoring attack um, at, at Virginia Tech. This Virginia Tech team lost most of their players to graduation or transfer when, when Buzz Williams took off, and everyone sort of thought they would not be very good. But the new coach, Mike Young, who was head coach at Wofford for like, 15, 17 years, something like that, really built Wofford into a a pretty solid mid-major, has done a great, great job with Virginia Tech. The story of this game will be three-point shooting because Virginia Tech is a terrible offensive rebounding team. They don't shoot free throws. I mean, they're among the bottom like 20 or 30 teams in the country at offensive rebounding and shooting free throws. They're horrible at both of those aspects of the game. All they do is bomb away from the outside. They shoot like the 13th most three pointers of any team in the country, but they make them, they make them at a really high rate. They have three guys who are hitting more than 50% of their threes. They've got two others who are hitting like mid forties. This is a team that just sits outside and bombs away. Um, And uh, as a result, they're a team that, you know, they are always hot. They could get really hot and they can shoot you out of the gym. Um, Sam, what, what what you got in this game? What 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 worries you about Virginia Tech?
1: I think you you hit the big one, which is the three-point shooting. Virginia Tech wants to run up the score and wants to play the game pretty fast, taking taking shots and then moving to the next possession. So Duke, I think, is really going to miss Cassius Stanley's defense in this game by not having him out there disrupting beyond the three-point line. But that's not to say that they won't be able to do it. I think the interesting thing will be to see how Duke's defensive rotations match Virginia Tech's um, Virginia Tech's skills here. In that they, like you said, it's outside shooting and not offensive rebounding. And to Donald's point about is Javin Delaurier going to get minutes here? Are we thinking that Jack White gets gets more opportunities? That's really going to be determined by who's able to to take some leadership. Playing defense on the perimeter as opposed to in the interior. That's what I'm going to be watching from Duke. Is is who's able to step up uh, on defense after after a, a pretty bad defensive week across the board for the team.
2: Yeah, and also when we're talking about this team, the two games that after they played Michigan State, they got absolutely Um, first by Dayton and then by BYU, and oh, against the Dayton,
0: Dayton game, they were they were
1: destroyed by Dayton. Yeah, I mean like. And and it's maybe it's Dayton. Weird, it's, Dayton. Dayton might be really good. They might be. Yeah, but they. they it's, I agree.
0: But it's kind of weird for bait. a team. I, I mean, for a major college team to pull off a huge upset like that and then get so down literally the next day. It's not like it was several days later. I was surprised Virginia Tech just had nothing against Dayton. Sorry, Donald. Continue.
2: Yeah, and the one thing that they did terribly against Dayton was rebound. They had 21 rebounds in an entire basketball game. Mind you, 21 is the number of three-point attempts that they took in that game as well. And and they were not good from beyond the arc, which is why uh, we were talking about their great three-point shooting. That's why they got ran out of the gym so quickly because they missed a lot of those three-pointers that they like to take and make. But when it comes to this game, I, you know, the three point shooting, the defense on those for, for Duke is going to be essential. Uh, But also it's about getting them one shot and done, get the rebound and go because when they don't have the ball, they can't take more three pointers. And I I think they're going to try and shoot us, uh, you know, out shoot us uh, to a victory. And and I think when it comes to being physical in the paint that I'm talking about rebounds, if we don't out rebound them by at least 10, uh, then we're probably in a very close ball game because it means that Virginia Tech is getting more shots from Beyond the Arc and chances to catch up or or you know take the lead on us down the stretch. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking for, you know, of course our shooting should be hopefully will be on point, but I think the really here he the real key here is can we limit them to one shot on the defense, get the miss, get the rebound, and and go. So We'll see what happens in Blacksburg on Friday night, but it's one of those games that is made for uh, the ACC to highlight uh, an early December matchup. This is going to be a really good one.
0: Hey hey guys, just really quick. Uh, As long as we're doing previews, there was something that I'd asked you all that I want you to be prepared for. And I think, you know, because we're looking ahead, I think this is a good time for it. Uh, I, I want you guys to tell me what do you think is the most troubling, the most concerning thing you've seen from Duke thus far. Um, I, you know, don't, not to be a negative Nelly or anything like that, but um, uh, this this week was a, a week of some great concerns. So, what's the thing that has bothered you the most? But then spin it and tell me, you know, how does Duke fix that, or uh, you know, how do you see that playing out over the rest of the season? Sam, I'll, I'll go to you first. What, what's, what's bothering you the most about what we've seen from the Blue Devils the first few games this the season?
1: I mentioned points in the paint earlier. That's on the defensive side. That's the one that I am most worried about and most watching. I want to see whoever emerges as, the, as getting more minutes on the perimeter for defensive reasons. I want to see those guys, be it Joey Baker, Wendell Moore, Alex O'Connell, whoever it is, Jack White, if he's if he's playing outside rather than in, any of those guys, I want to see them containing on the perimeter. And I think we're going to get uh, two very different styles from both Michigan State and Virginia Tech in this regard. We won't see as much needing to contain the basket against Virginia Tech, but against Michigan State, that's a lot of, of how they create offense, as Donald was telling us earlier. So I want to see multiple of those perimeter players able to contain the drives, and and keep players sort of out of the lane for easy baskets?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I, I've said a lot in this podcast, the word hustle. Um, that's something that Duke has never lost it, since I've been around. That that's one thing that no matter what, you can always count on the hustle, and that wasn't there last week. The good thing is it's something that's very easily fixed. Um, against Michigan State and Virginia Tech could be two teams that, Hustle points will win the ball game. And I think from the start, these guys have to understand that when Duke steps out into a court, the other team is going to bring their best game, their best shot every single night. Now, it might get tiring, but that's something that they took on when they when they came to Duke University, something that we all took on when we went to Duke University. When that team steps out on the court, they're getting the other team's best shot. Can they withstand it? Can they hold on to it? And when the game is down on the line, who's going to go get it? Who's going to go grab it, the ball? Who's going to go grab the rebound? Who's going to hustle more? Who wants it more? That's the team that we grew up on. That's the Duke team that I want to see this week against Michigan State and Virginia Tech.
0: So the thing that has bothered me the most this season uh thus far – well, recently I should say – um, it, you know, not to call one guy out. It's not one guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been very concerned by the play of Trey Jones. I feel like this was a kid who uh, everyone was saying was a, a likely or at least a contender to be an All-American, one of the best guards in the country. And his game is really built on taking care of the ball and also putting you in a good position. He is the prototype point guard in that regard. Uh, and Look, last year, I'm trying to recall, I I feel like, didn't he set a record last year for assist-to-turnover ratio? He certainly came darn close to setting a record for it uh, at Duke. Um, Just a huge assist-to-turnover ratio, and suddenly, the past few games, Trey Jones is turning the ball over. It's just not something we're used to seeing. He He had eight turnovers against Stephen F. Austin. He had five turnovers against Winthrop. Now, he was still getting assists, but we need Trey Jones to be, you know, like three or four to one assist to turnover ratio. That's what we kind of expect from him. And I, I've, I've been very He hasn't even been, he hasn't even been close to two to one on assist to turnover ratio the past couple games, um, which are games where Duke has not performed as well as we would have been expected. And look, it goes back to the Georgetown game. He had four turnovers against Georgetown. Um, so I, I am hoping that uh, a guy as experienced as Trey Jones with the pedigree and the understanding of the college game the way Trey Jones has it, that he'll be able to to figure out sort of what's not working um, and uh, and get that turned around. If there's anybody, and I mean this, if there's literally any player on this Duke team that if you said to me, okay, this is a guy who has to figure out what's going wrong and make it right, Trey Jones is the guy I would pick to figure that out and and get it get it done he seems like a very very cerebral player um and uh i'm i'm very optimistic for him but that to me is the thing that has troubled me the most this season um uh, especially lately um has been the play of of trey jones and and specifically his inability to take care of the ball it feels like he's forcing things a little bit i mean his teammates clearly are not as talented this year as they were um uh last year when he had rj and zion and and cam reddish even So, uh, you know, it may be that he's trying to do a little more and he's got to figure out what what works for these guys as opposed to what worked last year um, with the, uh, you know, with the with the lottery picks surrounding him. So we're going to quickly get to football because the Blue Devils in their season on a very positive note, they beat the Miami Hurricanes 27 to 17. It was a great defensive effort, nine sacks for the Blue Devils, which is good because the offense, well, we won't talk about that yet. Um, uh, Donald, I know you have a special interest in a Duke Miami game. Um, the Blue Devils get their fifth win of the season. We had some hopes that maybe that would be enough to get us to a bowl game because we are a very smart team. And so our graduation rate, our progress to graduation rate allowed Duke that if there weren't enough six and six teams, the five and seven Blue Devils could have gone to a bowl game. But there were, you know, a few teams that won games that we'd hoped wouldn't win. And as a result, we will not be going bowling. But Donald, tell me about this Miami contest. You root for both these teams. How'd you feel about the Blue Devils beating Miami 27 to 17?
2: Well, first of all, I move that we play Miami every year in the rain because every time we play them in the rain, we beat them. Uh, it was last year during their homecoming. It was a torrential downpour, and we smoked them this year, a lot of the same, and so there's that. But I, I think in the course of this game being very mediocre on both sides, I, I think I like the fact that these guys stepped up on senior day. It was the last game of the season. They didn't know – Uh, If they were going bowling, if they had a shot, but they knew the only way to get a shot was to win. And so I liked how they responded after the last five games of just being awful and stepping up and and ending the season on a high note. And and so I'm really excited about that. We, We saw, you know, some guys as seniors may have some really good games. But in the end, I think the pride of going out there and saying, hey, this is our last game. Let's leave it all out there. And then if the chips fall, the chips fall. The fact that they did that was really good. Uh, Miami's going bowling. They have another game after this. It's probably not going to be a good one, but they're going bowling. Our guys weren't. And I think that uh, the pride of, of, of that is really, really uh, cool to see. And it'll hopefully breed into next year. One thing I will say quickly about the Coastal Division, Virginia ended up winning uh, the Coastal Division. So over the past seven years, each of the seven teams in the Coastal have won the Coastal. So, by my recollection, it started with Duke in 2013, which means we're next up this next year. So, let's go ahead and get ready for next year, where we're going to win the Coastal and go to the ACC Championship. And then we're going to go probably to the College Football Playoff. We can start talking about that now,
1: or lose <laughs> to Clemson because or lose to Clemson, that's one really, or the other.
2: <laughs> has I don't has any
1: of have any of those teams ended up winning the ACC Championship, or has it just been? I think it's just been Clemson and Florida state that whole time.
2: Uh, I believe it was Florida state and Clemson (laughs) the whole time.
1: You look it up. You look it up while, while, while I jump in here, I just wanted to, to add, (laughs) to add that, um, we had, we have written off Duke's, uh, football team the last few weeks. And it was nice to see them come out with a little bit more fire, especially as you said, Donald on defense at the end of the season here. I think there are a lot of, really nice takeaways that Duke can have going into the offseason and trying to retool for next year. It's going to, the offense at least is definitely going to look different next year with Quentin Harris graduating. So I think we knew this was a transitional year and hopefully next year, some of those kinks get worked out and Duke ends up back on the, uh, back on the positive side so that they can end up in a bowl game in 2020. Donald, did you figure out if, uh, if any of these coastal teams have won the ACC?
2: No, they haven't. Um, The last last ACC Coastal team to win it all was Virginia Tech back in 2010. In fact, the last team from the Atlantic that was not Florida State or Clemson to make it to the ACC title game was Boston College back in 2008. Uh, But for the last nine years, it has been Clemson and Florida State dominating the ACC. The Florida State years were 2012 to 2014. As you guys know, that was when Jameis Winston was in town.
0: So the only thing I'll say about this Duke season, I think it is worth noting, I think it's worth reminding folks that there was sort of a strange quirk in this season that we had two really, really tough out-of-conference games. Usually, I feel like the formula is sort of, you know, try to win three, four, maybe five games in conference and then take business out of conference. Um, uh, You know, Duke pretty typically takes on, you know, one pretty good out-of-conference team. But... But we had Alabama and Notre Dame this year. Um, and as a result, you know, going three and five in the ACC, we only went two and two in our out-of-conference games. And so that we didn't get to the six, seven wins that we needed to get into a bowl game. But um, it's unusual for Duke to play teams, the quality of Alabama and Notre Dame, two teams that are, you know, in the, in the college football playoff conversation um, uh, every, every year. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I credit these guys and, 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 we should also look back and remember that, I mean, the Carolina game, the pit game, even the wake game, we had leads in the fourth quarter. Um, these were games that were very winnable and, uh, we just couldn't pull any of those out. And, uh, it, it as frustrating as the season was at times, we were, <laughs> this team was really fairly close to winning, I don't know, seven, maybe even eight games, um, it would not have been crazy or shocking for that to happen. So I'm, I'm still excited for the future, and I, I, I look, forward to, uh, look forward to an offense that maybe is a little more interesting um, next season, hopefully.
2: So really quickly, looking ahead to the future, to next year, uh, you were talking about our non-conference schedule. Our non-conference schedule next year is actually very weak. We have Middle Tennessee State, Elon, Charlotte, and then we're at Notre Dame. But also, one thing that we do avoid, we avoid Florida State, which isn't that good. We also avoid Clemson next year. Our crossover game into the Atlantic is against NC State at Carter Friendly Stadium. So uh, hopefully, these guys are looking ahead and saying, okay, this season's done. Let's focus on next year and let's get back on track. Because next year, if they, you know, the way the recruiting has been going, which has been pretty, pretty good so far, uh, we should be looking at seven to eight wins next year. This is a a schedule that sets itself up for that.
0: Guys, it is time for our Player of the Week before we get to parting shots. Sam, I will go to you first. Who do you say was the best player for Duke this week?
1: I don't know if he was the best, but I'll give it to Joey Baker for his clutch shooting at the end of the Winthrop game, Uh, not trying to reward anyone for their performances in the Stephen F. Austin game.
2: Donald? Uh, I'm going to go with Vernon Carey. I I looked at both games, even though one was terrible. Um, I'm just going to go with Vernon Carey, the human double-double. And
0: I'm going to say Matthew Hurt was the player of the week. Uh, A a week ago when we recorded this podcast, we said that we could possibly be at an inflection point for Matthew Hurt. He had just come off um, the game against Georgetown where he only played five minutes. Uh, I feel like he didn't score in that game. Um, And a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, maybe he's going to lose his starting position to Jack White. Um, Matthew Hurt turns around and, uh, against Stephen F. Austin, he had 15 points. He played, you know, fairly well, not great, but, um, uh, had a really nice game against Winthrop. We talked about it earlier. He carried the team in the first half to a large extent, um, ended up leading the team and scoring in that game with 20 points, eight rebounds. Um, and it looks like he's discovered that three point touch again. So, uh, so my player of the week was Matthew Hurt. And it's time for our parting shots. Sam, I will go to you first. What do you, what do you have for the folks
1: before we go? So Donald mentioned that Virginia won the ACC Coastal Division this year. And I just wanted to highlight that 2019 has really been the year for Virginia sports. They won their Coastal Division championship. I think it's their first one. They also won their first national championship in basketball back in April. So it's a, it's a good time to be a who. And, and they won uh, and for many of. And Oh yeah, and and in lacrosse, and many of them, I imagine, are also Washington Nationals fans. So, um, so big ups to all of my uh, all my Virginia friends and and all their friends because they're having a better year than we are. So far, so far, Donald. So you're up. look, the years, the years, the year is mostly over for sports accomplishments. That's true. So, <laughs> so, so uh, Virginia, Virginia fans are going to have 2019 tattooed on their backs probably for the rest of time. Donald, what's your parting shot?
2: Uh, I just want to make note that uh, a couple of days ago, Duke announced that they would be back in Atlantis uh, for the battle for Atlantis in 2020. Uh, they announced the field is going to be around Christmas or not Christmas around Thanksgiving next year. Uh, along with Duke, it's not really a really good field. Uh, we have Creighton, Memphis, Ohio state, Texas, A&M, Utah, West Virginia, and Wichita state. In This is something where we always talk about where we're going to go. It looks like next year we'll be in the Bahamas. And unless Memphis kind of, you know, regroups from this James Wiseman thing, it looks like that we are really going to be the class of that field, especially with the recruiting class that we have coming in as well. Uh, So that'll be interesting to see. Make sure you guys book your trip to Atlantis for 2020.
0: And for my parting shot, I want to reflect on all of college basketball just for a moment. And after Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin, Ken Pomeroy, Sam, I think it was you who uh, who posted in our little chat a tweet from Ken Pomeroy where he said simply, "There are no good teams," and that got me to thinking. Um, he's right. This is in terms of the gap between the really good and the average team. I I think this is you know a truly unusual year. And we are seeing less of a gap than we have ever seen in the past. I mean, look no further than Michigan State, the preseason number one team, the team that Ken Palm still says is the number one team in the land. Um, their uh, their efficiency margin would not place them in the top five efficiency margins most seasons. And the reason um, the good teams aren't better than they have been in the past is because of the offense. I don't know if it's moving the three-point line back a foot and a half or something else, but the top offenses this year are just terrible compared to past years. Uh, again, Michigan State has the number one Ken Palm offense. they have the best offense in the land, according to Ken Pomeroy. Their efficiency rating is 115.2. You, you, you can't find a year in Ken Pomeroy's rankings where 115 would get you to have one of the top 10 offenses, let alone the best offense in the land. Most years, you wouldn't even have a top 20 offense if you were 115.2. And I know I'm throwing out a lot of numbers and it may be hard for people to keep up with, but the bottom line is the good teams, the great teams this year are just not that much better than the average teams. We've seen it over and over again. We we saw Michigan State lose games they shouldn't. They lost a game to Virginia Tech, who is frankly, you know, probably a below average Power Five team. We saw Duke lose to Stephen F. Austin as the number one team. We saw Kentucky lose to Evansville as the number one team. People are looking around trying to figure out who the new number one is, and the reality may be, that we may get a lot of different number one teams because whoever ascends to the top is fairly likely to lose to someone because they are just going to a lot of losses across college basketball. And the reason I bring all this up is uh, at the end of the year, when it's time to pick the seeds, time to pick the number one, number two seeds, usually if you have, you know, usually if you have three losses, you feel like you're in pretty, you're in great shape. You know, even four, sometimes five losses get you a number one or easily a number two seed. Um, this year, this may be the year where we're going to see teams with seven, maybe even eight losses getting number one and number two seeds. I won't be surprised to see that. And the other thing is, I think, when it comes down to the Final Four, you know, everyone picks number one, maybe a number two seed to make the Final Four. Uh, I'll, I'll go on the record right now. Guys, write it down. I bet there are going to be at least two teams that are three or four seeds or lower that make the Final Four. This will be a year of parity in college basketball. Uh, Duke's lost to Stephen F. Austin as we look back across the season. It's not going to be the only truly shocking loss that happens in the game. And we're going to see that reflected all season long, I suspect. Um, and uh, when you know when push comes to shove at the end of the year, I, I won't be surprised if there is a really surprising team or two making the final four. So that, that's what I got.
2: I think at the end of the day, with all these upsets, I think you're right 100% today. I don't know if it's go- that's going to be the case in March, only because I feel like there's going to be some teams that improve. They're, they're going to get better. I, you know, We always hope that Duke gets better uh, every single game that they play. And at the end of the day, if, our, you know, if we look back in March and it, it could be where our one loss is to Stephen F. Austin, we won't know that. But I think at the end of the day, college basketball is at a great time where anyone can win, which means that you have to watch every game because anything can happen. And I think that's the beauty of college basketball, most especially this year.
0: Donald, you are the true optimist. May the Stephen <laughs> F. Austin game be our only loss this season. That would be amazing. I will take that in the heartbeat. <laughs>
1: I'm in. I'm. I'm in for that outcome
0: yeah (laughs) that's going to do it for us here on episode 175 of the duke basketball report podcast thanks for sticking around we had a lot to talk about because it was an eventful week for the blue devils coming up is another big 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 week a huge non-conference game and then the start of the acc race for donald wine and sam klein i'm jason evans thanks for joining us duke band take us home